0: Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Use code DNVR and we sign up for a new account to get amazing odds boosts every single day. Rudo, Jesse, AJ, Megan coming to you live on this Thursday. Had a lot of requests to at least talk about this on the pod or, you know, it took some of us a while to even watch the thing. But unrivaled ESPN's documentary on the Avs Red Wings rivalry. Over, mostly, they really only covered the, the mid-90s. They didn't really go a whole lot deeper than that, but still considered one of, if not the greatest rivalries in sports when it was at its best. Uh, I will put it this way. I actually really, really liked the first two-thirds of this documentary. I thought it was pretty good. Yes, sure, maybe it was through the lens of the Red Wings a little bit more than the Avs, but I think they did a good job of, of getting both sides in for most of it.
1: I really liked it. I and what you just said there, dude. I mean, I getting to rewatch this and kind of like relive that. You know, there's a lot of there's been a lot of there are currently a lot of fun rivalries in sports, and you know, it's all you know fun to see a couple certain teams get together. But I, I think you're right. we like, I don't. I just. I genuinely don't know, especially with the way it the world is now and just the way that younger athletes are now i just don't know if you'll ever see in all of pro sports not just the nhl or hockey but two teams that have like a genuine hatred for each other like you did for those few years there with the abs and red wings that really you know bred the rivalry that i think for fans it's still there um but i mean it's it's totally dead on the ice i just i I seriously i i like they, they actually hated each other like as people.
2: I think it's going to be a reemerging theme for me on this pod because I didn't move to Colorado until 2005 and I didn't go to my first hockey game until 2007. And so I did not live through this time in this era of hockey in real time and everything I've come to know about it has been retroactively. So I thought that this was really cool because my introduction to this rivalry was through the Avs fan base and how they felt about it how they talked about it. And so the slight Red Wing slant was actually helpful to see maybe another side of things that I hadn't really been exposed to. And I just thought it was cool to have a documentary covering this topic at all. So I really liked it, um, especially the beginning parts. I thought it really built the hype around what these games meant to both teams, to even the cities. I liked seeing mm-hmm. shots of the crowds and the different signs that they were making. Um, because it felt like I was in the arena there with them and that's something that I will ever get to have experienced so I like that
3: really big parts of the worst parts of my personality were developed through the lens of my hatred of the entire city of Detroit <laughs> uh, as the the elderly one on the pod I was the one who remembers this like vividly um, and like I, like, my first ever hockey game was Avs Red Wings. Me too. Um, like, I went to, um, I went to two of those post postseason games yeah. in that series. Um, like, a lot of, a lot of my formative, like, my love of the game and what kind of put me on the path to even being here today started with that series and started with all of, with, with Everything I, I still, uh, when I play video games, uh, I won't be on the red team if I can avoid it. Um, I don't like the color red in any way. I see it, and I, I just no respect, no, uh, no, no, I don't want any part of it. Uh, so I'm gonna be the one, I guess, that carries the hatred on the pod. Um, because as much as as much as I do agree with Jesse that. On the ice, it's a dead rivalry, um, and it really has been for yeah, a it's long time. Been dead for close to a decade. And moving
1: to the east, um, it's a hard, hard.
3: Yeah, I mean, they wanted to get away from Colorado just as they were getting bad. So, um, you know, classic coward shit. They don't like to take care of things on the road. So, uh, you know, I really, uh, uh, I really, I, I really resonate with what. Um, Ruto said that the first two-thirds of it. I really liked the first two-thirds of it. I thought it was good. I thought it was... uh, I'd I'd heard from everybody that this was like a Red Wings documentary. And it didn't really feel that way to me until the end. Yeah. Um, And I will tell you, though, when it starts, and you have this fucking middle-aged dork who's trying to tell us that this was one of the greatest days of his life. Was yeah, fight night was, in Hockey town. That was wild. <laughs> I was like, this guy's a fucking loser and should not have been interviewed for this. <laughs> um, I had that, that immediately. I was like, that's a jump, and there's no doubt that they fleeced that guy for VIP tickets to that event or whatever. <laughs> um, I was no, no respect. Um, no, I'm the the people that the people that went to that event dorks um uh, <laughs> and not in like the lovable way i just no that that the, the, for that to become a big part of their identity was fucking goofy to me
0: See... My kids will never eat little Caesars either because Little Caesars just
3: isn't very good. You know what? Those breadsticks are bomb, but never the had, had them. Hard. I've Dude. only had the pizza and it's not good. Straight cardboard, man.
1: <laughs> Hannah Hannah used to live real close to one and her and her and one of her roommates used to always like, oh well, it's the two dollar cheese Tuesday special. I'm like, pass. <laughs> pass. I'll eat the two dollars instead.
3: I loved that hot and ready was like a selling point. Like, <laughs> oh, your pizza's hot.
0: It's been sitting there for four hours in their little warmer. Like, oh,
3: it's it's ready,
1: <laughs> ready to eat. Wow, what that makes you exactly like every other piece yeah. of in the world
3: outside of Papa Murphy's. It's right. like, in what way does this separate you?
1: Which I actually do like Papa Murphy's. Sure, it's just, not ready. It's just
3: not ready. <laughs> or hot,
1: <laughs> or hot. I already, guess yeah. <laughs> the anti Little Caesars.
0: Yeah. So. <sighs> I think one of the parts that I found most interesting on Detroit's side was how heavily, at least, this documentary implied that they were just completely in in win-now mode. And they had been for a couple of years leading into that. Obviously, I, I understand being the greatest regular season team, arguably, ever there's are, are some expectations there, but the frustration seemed like it had been something that was building in Detroit for years when they lost that series in 96 to Colorado.
1: Yeah. Rudo, that was honestly, I'm with you. That was one of my bigger takeaways. Cause again, like I remember the, the, the rivalry, like AJ was saying, you know, I I was I'm a few years older than AJ. So I don't remember it like as clearly, but yeah, my, my first ever hockey game was abs, red wings at McNichols. Um, but you know, so you remember the rivalry and then especially for us, like you remember the av side and what all was going on. Yeah, man, I, I didn't, I didn't know that the Red Wings were in the middle of this, like, you know, brutal stretch of of disappointment and failure and coming up short and, you know, postseason exit or second round exits when they shouldn't have. I, I never knew that that was part of what, like, started the hatred on their side was, you know, we're trying to get there. We're trying to get there. Now you have this, you know, this team from Colorado, not an expansion team, but relocated new franchise, knocking you out in the conference final. And then obviously everything that happened with it, but I just, I did not realize that there was such a stretch of frustration for, for Detroit leading up to all of this.
0: Yeah, it's, It's an interesting one, too. It does feel like that Avs loss was somewhat similar to Tampa Bay's moment against Columbus. Obviously a little bit different conference finals, but it it could have been a turning point in Detroit history where they decided this team doesn't have it together and and retooled, but instead they mostly kept the team together and and built off it. Obviously it worked out for them. Um, uh, Getting into... The actual conversations that they had on the show. First of all, I think again in the first two thirds, I think they did a great job. They had plenty of abs and abs sided people on the show. They allowed the Avs people to talk about their viewpoints of it, and you know they they had foot come on and talk about the Kozlov hit that really in the abs mind, started everything. So
1: and Brian I really Burke calling it.
0: it
3: incidental context <laughs> blew me away.
1: Yeah. That was Well, the the crazy part for me about what Brian Burke added was because he he kind of, like, starts the statement by talking about, like, the old standard uh, of Department of Player Safety, which, like, you can wrap your head around. It's like, okay, old, you know, old-school standards. They didn't really understand. Yeah, then it was the way he, like, kind of went on to talk about it. Like, honestly, there was really nothing wrong there anyways. Like, don't really see the issue. It's like, oh. So that's not an old, I thought he was like talking about like, yeah, can you believe it? We didn't suspend him for that. And then he kind of doubled down. I was like, and it was probably the right call in retrospect. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I will
3: say as much as, as much as George Paros running the department of player safety has been a uh, lightning rod of controversy every year. um, Boy, does it feel like it's so much better off than when Brian Burke was running it. I mean, just given the way, given his <laughs> thoughts on things and how he was approaching it, and it was just like, what a gong show!
0: Player safety, player in the safety 90s was
3: basically a no. <laughs>
0: it just wasn't.
1: Player what? Oh yes, uh, safety.
0: No. You're less than ten years removed Man. from making guys wear helmets. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Also, uh, you bring that up, but also a a. Uh... A quick thing that I that I thought was interesting was they brought on that columnist from Detroit, yeah. who wrote yeah. the who wrote the whole thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys, when they were talking about the wanted poster that they made in the paper mm-hmm. based on that guy's column, but I paused to read it, and they uh, they had one of the things in there was that Claude Lemieux, they dinged Claude Lemieux for wearing the visor.
2: No And I thought <laughs> I
3: thought wow That's It's funny. it's been it's been Aged things like milk baby. <laughs> well yeah, like well it's been like a it's just like a, a thing that we've gotten so adjusted to now that it's required that it didn't it until I when I read that then I realized how out of place his visor did look. When you were when you were surveying like, when you like looked at the rest of the ice and you were like, right, this yeah. wasn't the norm. And he was cons- like, nobody thought Claude Lemieux was soft, but it was weird that they were like they were they like dinged him for that.
1: It was considered a soft thing. Yeah. to have the yeah, for such
3: like a tough guy. It's... and it was it was it was really just one of those like, wow, the game has changed a lot. Like just a striking moment where i was like okay yeah
0: it's damn. it's hard because you know you watch hockey for long enough and a lot of a lot of things just start to blur and blend together but in the that kind of moment for me in the show it was just some b-roll of one of the playoff games and they cut to the ref who's not wearing a helmet mm. and it's like yeah.
3: oh shit okay yeah they right. cut to people were they cut the standing yeah. there not seeing anything happen Not calling anything, just letting it all get out of hand. I actually, he, my big takeaway here was I actually felt terrible for him.
0: Yeah, the impossible job.
3: Yeah, I felt (laughs) terrible for him because that was before they started putting two refs on the ice. uh, And he was like the guy. And he had to see all that and... The it was interesting. They brought up the kneeing incident where McCarty tried to knee Lemieux it, it, when he was it, down against the boards. It's and he pretty was like,
0: clear on the replay.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, and like they can you know, they they isolate it and they you know dark screen with the light bubble and they show it and all that. Uh, and it was interesting because when they were first showing it, I was like, "Did he try to knee him?" And then they brought it up a minute later, and I was like, "He totally did." <laughs> and like up until that point, I was like. I'm coming out of this documentary liking Darren McCarty. Like, <laughs> I was like, my respect for him, like my my like for him, had gone way up, Even because then, you understood where he was up. coming from at every point, at every turn. Yeah. I understood where Darren McCarty was coming from, and I think we should probably take a break before I get on this tangent. Yeah. Um. Just. But like, it, it was pretty. It was pretty interesting. Um. The the evolution of my feelings on Darren McCarty from when I first started watching it to the midpoint to, I got to the very end and was like, Oh, (laughs) Oh, okay.
1: Well, then I'm I'm pretty conflicted right now. Your opinion, not yours, but like the proverbial, your opinion of Chris Draper goes like the other way too. That's why I laughed so hard to see your tweet and, and I'll let Rudy do his read, but it's just so funny. Those two guys, who in, at least for me they kind of like my opinion of them kind of like flipped <clears throat> throughout the documentary but we can get into that I also
3: just Kirk Malpe, no show didn't want to participate
2: yeah.
3: like the the witness to all of this the other guy that was on the same line with them for all those years just not available uh, so it was you. such an it was such an odd absence to me that the grind line was like their whole thing, and then he just wasn't. He just wasn't around.
0: Well, the Red Wings have been absent from the playoffs for a few years now, so they need our new sponsor, our official golf apparel sponsor, Pins and Aces. Oh, uh, you know, yeah. when you're on the when you're on the golf course early in the season, you you need a lot of golf clothes. So. Get on over there. Pins and Aces are official golf apparel partner now. They got everything, whether you want clothes, they got polo shirts, they got hats. They even have golf bags. And maybe their uh, most important item is their beer sleeve. You can just stick it right in your bag. It stores seven beers, keeps them cold for you. A little incognito, too, so you can get them onto the golf course. Because that's just the thing that's accepted in the golf community, is that you smuggle beer in no matter what. I don't understand, but that's just what people do. So, Yeah, Pins and Aces has you covered on that one. Be sure to go to pinsandaces.com. Use the DNVR code when you check out to get 15% off your first order and get free shipping, pinsandaces.com. Also brought to you by the amazing DraftKings Sportsbook. You go over there, you get your bets in, you get a ton of money. When you are a new account and you sign up with code DNVR right now, you can go over, you can bet, on the return of football, and you can get $200 in free bets. Super easy. Don't even have to get the bet correct. You just get $200. If you're throwing it down $5 on some opening night football action. Uh, super easy. They also have the free win promotion, uh, where if you do want to bet on football the first week and your team gets up by 7 at any point in the game, they don't have to win. You just team has to get up by a touchdown and an extra point and your bet pays out. So seems pretty easy to make some money right now. At DraftKings. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, jump over there. Go get the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now use that DNVR code to get the $200 in free bets. When you put a $5 bet on any football game, uh, again, the DNVR code must be 21 or older, Colorado only other terms, restrictions and conditions apply to draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details. Of course, if you have a gambling problem, call one 800 522 Okay, first, before we get into your tangents, I want to get...
1: Blaze, by the way. Blaze is sending me DMs talking shit.
0: <laughs> I want to get Megan's <laughs> opinion on this first section, because you're a bit younger than us. So I'm assuming you don't really have the memories of it live, and this was more of an after-the-fact thing for you. So how did it come across to you?
2: The whole thing.
0: The, the mostly, uh, I, I'm curious about how you felt about the the back and forth between Lemieux and McCarty.
2: Um, I don't know if it's just the era and time that these two are captured now. Like they're both kind of, uh, they're they're not playing the game anymore. I don't. They don't really have a reason to continue carrying those emotions the way that they did when this was happening um and it felt i don't know i didn't know how to read like the the hockey community is so tight-knit too that i expect that a lot of these players that were playing on these teams at this time had other connections to each other outside of these teams and their paths would find themselves back to one another and there were probably friendships that could be forged in that way so i just got the imp- i don't know i got the impression that it was a little bit for entertainment um to make this relevant but it didn't necessarily need it because it is already relevant um and the rivalry itself speaks for itself but i don't i don't know i didn't really have any feelings about their relationship to one another um it,
0: you made a good point and i do think the documentary does kind of show that with shanahan where he's like yeah me and claude were always
3: kind of cool well, and That's he's like, right. I named I named my son after him. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Current NHLer Brendan Lemieux was named after Brendan Shanahan. So, like, cool. So, and then Shanahan skates by him, and Lemieux's like, "You're a loser. You've never yeah. won anything in your life. You're a bum."
1: <laughs> well, see, actually, that that right there is—I uh, actually thought that was such a fun little detail because. Even in in today's NHL where you know things aren't nearly as violent. Um you hear about guys doing this kind of stuff all the time. And like I, I can speak from experience. Like there are guys that you meet throughout your whole life, you know, growing up, and it's not just it's not exclusive to hockey, right? It's sports, it's it's all you know, it's all kinds, it's any type of competition, anything where you're competing against someone else where you can be cool with someone, you can like them, you can be friends with them, but when you're a competitor and you step onto whatever you're playing services, you know, the ice, you hear guys say it all the time. That stuff stays on the ice. Like there is, there, there's, it, there's kind of a different reality in terms of that kind of stuff where who you're friends with, who your buddies are, you, again, you see it in the NHL who your brother is. Um, and, and I thought that, that little jab from, from Claude Lemieux to Brendan Shanahan. Uh, I, I thought that was awesome. Cause yeah, Brendan Shanahan they're like, I didn't really tell anyone in the locker room that I'm actually kind of buddies with this guy. And then, yeah, he skates up to him on the ice. And that was basically as Claude Lemieux kind of let him know like, Hey, we're buddies. But when we're out here, like this is full on war and you're on the other side. I thought that was just such a cool little on the ice detail. Cause you don't hear that kind of stuff.
3: Did I did, uh, Lemieux like leave it on the ice, mm-hmm. you know? And then the whole bus incident, which we'd all known about where, you know, he's walking by with his family and Scotty Bowman's talking shit. right? And Claude's like, well, dude, I'm with my like, I'm with my family here. Like, come on. Um, right. I thought that, that that perspective was interesting where Detroit felt like, like the from the Detroit side, it just felt like anything was fair game to them. Where they were like, look, we hate your whole existence and so we're all about this. Uh, but Lemieux was like, just leave it on the ice. Like, hey, I I did this thing, and, you know, it deserves to be left on the ice. That's where where this happens. That's where I'm a psycho is on the ice. That's where we take this. And uh, it felt like uh, tons of respect for Scotty Bowman. But he came off a little small to me in the documentary, the way that he... You know the the way that he was talking about some of those some of those incidents and the way that they were happy to to extend the rivalry beyond the ice uh, because they they felt slighted at every turn.
1: Did you and, have did that? Did that story there? Because I agree with you, AJ. I thought that part was really interesting. Again, especially hearing it from a guy like Claude Lemieux, who you have this kind of image of in your head of the you know the way he was and the way he played. But yeah, you know, leave it on the ice. Did that that scene really struck a chord with me? Did it remind anybody else of any more recent events, or is it just me?
3: You mean like the Bertuzzi stuff?
0: No, that's there's a different part that reminded me of that. We'll get to it.
1: Yes, but no. Yeah, uh,
0: NASDAQ losing his shit.
2: The,
1: round two this year.
0: You know, the, the police escorts happens- and stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, right.
1: you know the death threats and and the uh, police outside of his hotel room. And, and again, obviously, this one. With Kadri was even more ridiculous because anybody with eyes can tell that it was you know a- accidental, bad collision, bad injury, all that stuff. But it re- it reminded me of that where you know Claude Lemieux saying like, "Hey, look, yeah, like you said, AJ, I, I did this thing, I'm I'm gonna go back, I'll be back out there, like I- I'll own up to it." W- what are you doing, especially when you're wa- I- I'm walking to my car with my family and Scotty Bowman's getting off the bus and you know all this stuff and, and again the police escorts uh to the arena when they finally go back on what ended up being you know the, the fight night or, or whatever you want to call it and I, I do i just i was sitting there thinking about that i was like man that's <laughs> that, that really is something where it's like it stays on the ice fans should be into it you know if, if fans are out there as the bus is pulling in with signs and yelling stuff and, and jeering and all that stuff cool be a fan be passionate when it crosses the line to yeah, you're needing police escorts and uh you know, extra security as you're coming in the building and all that stuff. Then it's like, okay, what are we doing here? And then yeah, the, the Bertuzzi stuff also ties in because like that's one of those things where it's like that happened to take place on the ice. Where <laughs> well like
3: a- but but like where where it felt where it reminded me of the Bertuzzi incident is the anger. That was held for such a long yeah. time off yes, the ice, yes, yes, and yes. then like this insistence and this obsession with like getting it right, you know, getting even and doing it on their terms, uh, right. and getting what they want, and and even and then when they got it, it wasn't enough. It mm-hmm. it was it was. Did, cr- we haven't even gotten into it because I don't even know where to so, start with this guy. But the, even at the end of the the documentary ends with Chris Draper saying he hasn't forgiven him.
0: So there are two two things I wanted to mention on the Bertuzzi part. First, an insane premonition by Chris Draper in the interviews after his injury where he goes out and talks to the media. What's it going to take? Somebody breaking somebody's neck? Yeah. yeah. Weirdly, knowing after the fact, weirdly accurate to the Bertuzzi situation.
1: Yeah.
0: And then number two... How in the world does the Detroit Red Wings justify acquiring that guy down the line? <sighs>
1: right.
0: Just absurd to me.
1: I, I, I actually stand full conspiracy. I, I really do think that that was a, like a last ditch kind of rivalry thing. Like a last little dig. Cause like Todd Bertuzzi's career was way on the wind down at that point. He was coming off of the, off of the Steve Moore incident, I guess I shouldn't say way on the wind down. He he played for quite a few years after that, but um, I, I think there were a lot of teams that were kind of afraid to to touch him. And I, like I said, full conspiracy theory mode. I've always thought that the Red Wings did that as a a little little jab.
3: I. Moving, move, just moving away from that. But I wonder if Chris Draper's watched this. I kind of doubt it, but obviously, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm curious because I don't know how. I, I, I just, I was blown away consistently at how, at every single turn, he got smaller. And <laughs> it was just that, like. Up until the hit, you know the 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 hit happens. Lemieux smokes him. It's a dirty play. He's got all. He's got like every reason to be upset, right? And they're talking like Darren McCarty's talking about how tough this guy is because he gets up and skates off. And it was like that was like the last time that you can say Chris Draper ever did a tough thing in his life, <laughs> based on this documentary, because basically everything after that was soft as hell. Yeah. Because, I I mean, he's, he gives an interview after. He's like, look at my face. He's like, I can't even talk. And I'm like.
1: You're giving an interview.
3: (laughs) You are on camera. You just said I can't even talk out loud.
1: I thought that part was funny too. That made me laugh.
3: I'm like, I'm like. Like my, like, my brain, like, the top of my brain is starting to, like, lift off from the rest of my body as he's talking. And then, like, they're cutting back to, like, present-day Chris Draper, where he's like, oh, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And you're like, dude, like, is this happening right now? This is so weird. And at every turn after that, and, and I think the nail in the coffin here is the audio on the ice the next year when they're on the ice in, in Denver. And Lemieux is there, and he says, do you want to settle it? You can settle it right now. Yeah, He said, I'll, do you want to settle it? Do you want to settle it? And he doesn't make a move. You're so obsessed with this. He hasn't apologized. You're going to take justice into your own hands. You're, You're going to do all this shit, right? Like all this talk, this obsession that the organization had with getting him back. Do you want to settle it? It, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't even try. Doesn't it, even make an attempt at
0: it. And and credit to the documentary for getting that right. I I was fully expecting them to skip over the game in Colorado. And they didn't. They they had the abs interviews, they talked about it. I thought McCarty's excuses were a
3: they bit They have whimsy. last change? Yeah. <laughs> soft.
1: Yeah, that one made me
3: Sharman ass soft. Are you kidding me? They have last change, so we couldn't we couldn't handle our business. We had to wait until we were on home ice and even then they didn't do anything. It took it took Larry sparring with Forsberg for that to happen. And then when it happened, McCarty just clocks him right in the face. He jacks him right in the face. And they cut to him, and he's like, I stared him straight in his eyes, like that made him like more of a man, (laughs) like, and he's like, I just socked him right in the face, and he's like, that's called a cold cock, like it was like (laughs) this epic mic drop of a moment for him, yeah, yeah. And you're like, (laughs) you're like, okay, so like, you punched you punched a man in the in the face, he hasn't agreed to fight you, he just skated in your vicinity. And you punched him in the face. Like, really, like, really tough guy shit here. And then everybody's like, oh, he turtled. And it's like, have you ever been punched in the face before? Have you ever been in any kind of a fight, let alone on ice? Well, Like, I, I... like what is he supposed to do? Darren McCarty's not, like, letting him up. He's right. just punching him repeatedly. And then he pushes him into the boards at his own bench, tries to knee him in the head, and then just keeps going. And then you have the whole Mike Vernon thing.
0: Well, it was—it's really the the Shanahan thing to me because Shanahan's the one I, who like sells out to keep anyone from getting to to Lemieux. And that
3: cool, I'm good with that. But Mike Vernon is pulling on Adam Foot, who's on the ice, and it's like Shanahan and and Vernon are going after Foot. Until Wall like pairs off with Vernon, and I'm like, Mike. They're like talking about what a nice guy Mike Vernon is, and it's like the nice guys are always the fucking ones that'll get you in the back with a knife in a fight like that. <laughs> like that's how they, because they don't they don't get into confrontation. They don't know how to do it. So Mike Vernon's like happily like, yeah, Adam Foot's on the ice. Like, I'll be, yeah, let's get this guy. And then Patrick Wall shows up and kicks the shit out of him and he ends the fight because he pulled he reaches down while being punched reaches down and picks up the leg so that he can tackle him and be on top and be like I won that fight like bro you just got the shit kicked out of you and i, I the whole thing the whole thing blew my mind they skip over the the they they don't do it in denver they don't even do it off the opening face off they get several minutes into the game wait for another incident to happen And then just start going at it. And it was just like, all of this... Like, if you're a Red Wings fan, how is this a thing that you're proud of? How is it that that guy from the beginning of the documentary made that one of his life memories? Like, what the fuck? How do people watch this and think, those are my guys? Like, am am I... how How did you guys feel it? Because... All it all it all how'd you guys feel about it? Because all it did was just make me mad. So... Because I was like, all of you are cowards. <laughs> all of you are cowards. I, I definitely
0: think there was some cowardice there in, in waiting to go back home, but I did really appreciate Darren McCarty's viewpoint on it after the fact where he talks about his role on the team and what his job is, and, and, and that part of it I totally understood. Uh, especially given what 90s hockey was and, and those type of players were on every team. Um, so, I, I, I look, even, even with some of the stuff that, AJ, I know you're going to say retracted of your opinion of McCarty, I came out of this thinking McCarty's a pretty cool dude, to be honest with you.
3: Like, my respect for him went way up in this, and especially knowing, like, especially seeing, like, hey, he's doing a lot better in life. Because, like, my hatred of him my entire life meant that I, like, reveled in him having struggles in life. I was like, good. That guy's scum. He deserves it. And that was me being big mad and petty and not a very nice person. And seeing that he has, like, gotten through that and on the other side, I'll agree with you. I actually really enjoyed his perspective throughout. Especially when it was obvious that Chris Draper wasn't about to handle anything himself. That Chris Chris Draper was too much of a of a coward to handle he, a single the thing. Cardin was just the dude
0: that stepped up. Yeah,
3: yeah, he was the one. He was the one willing and said, "I got your back. I'm going to take care of it." And for some reason, Chris Draper never felt the need to actually do it himself. He never felt the need to be the guy to answer for the crime that he was so upset about. The but he was talking about suing Claude Lemieux oh, well, we're going to try and keep it on the ice, you know? Oh, yeah. If he had just apologized, you're talking about suing him. You're crying about it. In every interview that you're giving, they kept cutting to him giving interviews back then. And the guy is just melting down emotionally like I am right now. And it was just like, it was just like, it, it was so frustrating to watch. That he just gets this platform to be the biggest bitch and let his teammates answer for him at every turn. And watching him skate around with the cup made me fucking physically sick. Because you watch this nothing garbage-ass hockey player who couldn't even, in in all of this talk about toughness, stand on the shoulders of Hall of Fame players and get to bask in glory like he was anything. It was just an embarrassment. The entire, everything to do with Chris Draper in the documentary was a fucking embarrassment. Manitoba should not be claiming him as one of their sons. They should not claim him. Detroit shouldn't claim him. It was all embarrassing. All of it was reductive and cowardly bullshit. Well, it, the,
0: the doc did a really good job of contrasting that because they showed fight night and then they showed, hey, next game. Claude's like, "Yo, you want to fight off the opening face off? Let's go." Yeah. <laughs> Willing yeah. to throw hands, unlike Draper.
1: Well, it just yeah, it was funny cuz yeah, we were talking uh talking about the documentary I think yesterday or 2 days ago, just amongst the four of us and and the three of us who had seen it made a comment about Chris Draper and AJ was like, "I mean, I don't know. The guy got his face kind of rearranged." And we were like, "We hear you." That was all how we went into it. And then you just watch it. And, and yeah, you know, and honestly, dude, my, the, my biggest thing was again, just like the grudge that he seemed to hold and it hadn't even really clicked or occurred to me, AJ, until you started saying all this about how, like, not only did he end up not fighting, like, you know, if it was one of those things where he was like, yeah, I I was looking for him and McCarty just happened to catch him before I did. That's one thing. But the fact that he just continually... Back down, shied away from it, and then yeah, all the but yeah, wouldn't shut up saying, about it. Right, right, right. and like
3: the, he was like, "I'm glad it happened because everything that happened after, I wouldn't change a thing." Have you forgiven him for it? No. Oh, he's never apologized to me for it, but he was he was the classy one at the draft and shook my hand and introduced. And oh, I wondered if that's all there was to it. Couldn't even handle introducing his family to Claude Lemieux, what what was it, like, 25 years later?
1: Right.
3: 30 years later or something? Like, couldn't even handle, could not even handle introducing his family to it without being like, was there something more there? Like, are you a teenage boy who just had a girl talk to him for the first time? How are you this in your head about this, dude? Like... Have you not moved on from that moment at all? Like, Megan, it
2: was
0: just. like you had something to say down there.
2: Well, so I, I wasn't involved in the emotions of this when it happened. But I've been on the receiving end of Red Wings fans messaging me on Happy Turtle Day. And I just didn't look in on this situation as something that I feel secondhand embarrassment for Lemieux on. In how he handled this, it wasn't, he didn't. Face the retribution with the honor that he probably would have liked to, um, and how he physically responded, but I just don't even feel embarrassed by it. It's not something that can be weaponized to me as a fan to feel embarrassed for Lemieux by. But seeing Draper react to it the way that he did, it strikes me as someone who complains about their problems to everybody else without confronting the person they have the problem with. If he wanted an apology, I don't understand why he wouldn't go to Lemieux himself and just ask. And if he wanted to physically answer for it, there are options on the ice available to him, too. And to carry the resentment that he does for as long as he has without doing anything about it to help himself, he chose not to solve his problems. Right. I think
0: part of the respect for McCarty and Lemieux, especially coming out of Mm -hmm. this, was you know, I don't love that McCarty was so happy about it, but he didn't beat around the bush. He was like, yeah, I pushed him right in the face, and then I right. continued to beat the shit out of him. And Lemieux mm-hmm. was like, yeah, man, he knocked me over, he crushed me with a punch, and I yeah. turtled, because what else do you do in that situation? <laughs> he said,
3: he, he was like, look, all the off-ice stuff didn't prepare me for the on-ice stuff, and they, when it happened, they came hard. Yep, And it well, was respect, because it was all, everything was settled on the ice between those two. And that's where you see the difference is that when they got off the ice, they were adults about it. And when Chris Draper was on the ice, he was a coward. And then when he got off the ice, he was chatty.
1: He wouldn't shut up about it. Well, the, the turtle thing, AJ, you were talking about this a minute ago, but you were on a roll. So I didn't want to interrupt you. And then Megan just mentioned it, you know, with the whole like Red Wings fans who think that that's some kind of show of defeat I just always laugh because the one that I always think of is the Zdorov hit on Mark Scheifele where he, you know, gets jumped from behind. And you see Winnipeg fans on Twitter all the time talking about how he turtled. And yeah, you you said every year on the fight night day, Red Wings fans say stuff, but I just laugh because AJ made the point earlier. I I don't know. Like now I've never been punched in the face, probably as hard as Claude. Lemieux got punched by Darren McCarty, but getting punched in the face when you're not expecting it is pretty fucking disorienting (laughs) and especially when you get hit that hard. And then suddenly you're down on the ice in the most vulnerable position known to man. Find me one person, one person on earth, the toughest guy you can find that wouldn't try to protect their head and face in that situation. When you are completely defenseless, like if you can find someone who's just going to lay there and just get fed, in the mouth like that's
0: that's a lunatic these days we get ufc fights every weekend and if that happens the fight is over
1: <laughs> right, right, that's right. that's it yeah <laughs> i don't give a chance to turtle the end the fight it's done like <laughs> oh i, I just i've never understood why that has been such a uh you know it's, it's such a, a thing that people criticize oh he turtled after he got sucker punched from behind it's like yeah, yeah that 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 sounds about right. I mean, like it was it like
3: respected Darren McCarty for being like I jacked him in the face. Lol. What can you do? <laughs>
2: right.
3: You know he was like, look, I had a job to do. I, I wanted I it. wanted yeah. to punch him. He was right in front of me, so I fucking punched him. <laughs> and it was like okay, and like Lemieux turtling and like McCarty doing what he did. He said he was going to do it, and he did it. And then he moved on from it. And then he went out and he scored the game winning goal. Like that's big dick energy right there. That was, that was like a dude handling his business. Where was Chris Draper in all of this? Mm -hmm. Because that was the, that's the guy who got rocked and this whole thing started with
1: him. And you're like, where are you, dude? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's an even better point. AJ again, like, the fact that he did that then goes out and, and he, like Darren McCarty almost kind of made it, not intentionally, but it almost kind of became about him and Claude Lemieux more than it was Chris Draper at all. Great point. Great point. Um, all right. We, we are have brought to you niche.
0: by Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNBR. You can go get yourself some at your local liquor store. Go jump on it right now. They have dozens of flavors to try and... Uh, you you may not know this, but pretty much every single person at DNVR that's not currently on this podcast is working to get the bar into tip-top shape. <laughs> this
1: makes us sound like major assholes. I, I was going to say, yeah, way <laughs> to fucking sell us out there.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm just being honest, all right? But the bar's coming. The tweets are out there. We're opening very, very soon for the DNVR Bar 2.0. Uh, I, I will le- I'll let you in on a little secret. Tonight, we get to go taste test the new menu. So when we start ranting and raving about food tonight, you'll know why.
3: Uh, somebody in chat did ask about if there are more vegetarian options. I don't know. We'll we tell you like, after tonight. <laughs> yeah, we are we have not gotten a chance to see the menu or really know anything about it other than apparently the the nachos are dope. Like that's literally that's literally all we've got so far. So hopefully we'll have uh some more information after that
0: uh we are also brought to you by green mountain dental group best family dentist in the denver metro area just 15 minutes from downtown over in lakewood you can go get a cleaning x-ray and exam with them and you get a free sonic toothbrush just for taking care of your teeth so hit them up they're great at what they do they'll send you reminders of when you need to schedule appointments and when your appointments are they take great care of you third period of the dnvr avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings sportsbook uh so I'm going to throw a concept out there because I love the first two thirds of this documentary. And the last third of it could have been very good if this was a miniseries. If this was like an eight episode miniseries and they dedicated one episode to the whole Konstantinov thing, I think it would have been fine. But yeah. Throwing it into this two-hour documentary, it it just was out of place. And and it, I get it. Konstantinov is a big story here from the Red Wings side. It definitely sure. was worth mentioning. It's definitely worth talking about. It's also you know a tragedy to every sense of the imagination. But it was an extremely weird fit in the rest of this documentary with how focused in they got on it.
1: That it, was my thing on it. I, sorry, AJ. I saw I saw a bunch of people get upset on Twitter. Oh, was a turned into a Red Wings documentary like. I get it. I understood why they had the content there. Like, I I understood why they wanted to tell that story. It just felt like a weird place to do it.
3: It just wasn't about the rivalry. Like, it was a documentary. The documentary starts with Detroit losing to New Jersey and the Nordiques moving to Colorado. The foundation of the entire thing is the rivalry and how these two teams came to cross paths And the fact that they didn't lean, it it turned into more about Chris Draper and Darren McCarty and less about the 20 Hall of Fame players that played for the two teams between 96 and 2002. It didn't, it, it, it just briefly, and now like, I'm glad I didn't have to relive it. But the fact that you don't mention the 2002 western conference finals where the abs blow a 3-2 lead yeah. and get smoked in game 7 that effectively ends the rivalry mm-hmm. there's no mention there, there's in passing a mention of hey they won another cup later the abs also won another cup later but we're dedicating 20 minutes well it... out of out of a 127 minute documentary to konstantinov which was a driving force in the Back-to-back title defense for the Red Wings, and was an important part of of their like emotional story, but had nothing to do with the rivalry. Well, it,
0: if you're even if you're trying to tie it into the rivalry, okay, you can have the constant Constantino conversation, and then you can compare it to the to the Bork conversation exactly on the that's How side. I and, felt
3: about and it, and they was... gave
0: Bork five seconds on the show of, of him lifting the cup, and that was
3: all that they talked about it. I, I also thought that, it, hey, if you're going to talk about this, then the Bork storyline, which isn't the same, obviously. Of course. It's just, it, it, ob- like, obviously, we're not saying that those are the same stories. But
0: when you're talking about emotional driving forces behind teams.
3: Exactly. The emotional catalyst that, that pushed them forward. you know, And and it really felt like they did not, like getting Claude Lemieux, getting, getting Patrick Waugh. Getting Brendan Shanahan, that should have been, in my opinion, the one thing they if they cut out the Konstantinov stuff and they dig deeper into two GMs yeah. who are in a constant arms race against one another. Not even, not even like worrying about the Dallas Stars, uh, who obviously ended up being a thorn in Colorado side. But like, we're talking like these two teams, these two GMs. We're in like this arms race of greatness all the time. Trying to with each other, just trying to one up the other one, trying to, okay, what do we need? Okay. We need to go and get Dominic Hashik. Okay. Well, we're going to go get Ray Bork and Rob Blake. Like just the way that these two teams just continue to find ways to level themselves up and force the other ones. Like, you don't ever talk about oh there's an era of dominance well who was the who was the other team you know oh what was the other one no this was part of the rivalry was the high end of it was so high and they focused on fight night everything in that documentary was was built around the draper hit and then fight night but really it was so much more than that and that was the part of the story that i that i felt got left on the cutting room floor in favor of the tragedy porn, where, which is just a thing that ESPN now does at every turn. You know, you watch the first round of the NFL draft, and instead of it being like, here are his measurables, they're like, here's the horrible life story that he has attached to him. Let's all, you know, and like, instead of it being like, wow, a celebration of what he's overcome, it just feels like they're exploiting the tragedy of these people. It felt like they were exploiting the Konstantinov thing at the expense of a fuller, it, more well-rounded story.
0: It, it, it certainly lacked the minutia. I think they could have gone significantly deeper into the, the Sakic versus Iserman thing to two guys who are seen as the all-time captains of their franchises, essentially, and both went on to be GMs of, of their organizations.
3: To, did you know that Sergei Fedorov's main contribution to back-to-back Stanley Cups Was being like the first guy to talk to Konstantinov on the ice after the second cup (laughs) because that's how the documentary played it out to be. Yeah, didn't mention him at all, didn't bring him up. No, no, and like that's the part of that I felt let down in is that this arms race it was, it was an arms, it was the arms race of all arms race. Like, not even Yankees Red Sox could compare to this thing. Because you were talking about 20 Hall of Famers passed through two franchises who combined to win five Stanley Cups in seven years. And they had to constantly go through each other to make it happen. How was that not a bigger part of this?
1: Yeah. It's a great point. <laughs> yeah, uh, again, it's it's a good point. Because you you really do like you you can you the documentary kind of makes you forget that point it really does make it feel like it's oh no it all stemmed from this it was that in addition to everything you were just saying aj about well these were two unbelievable teams
0: i think it it comes off as a little bit brutish not that it wasn't (laughs) don't get me wrong the fight night stuff absolutely was especially in the modern day i think a lot of people look back at that and go this is gross but it, it skips over so many of the parts of the rivalry. And I think a lot of people have, have lost this side of the rivalry. Like people always bring up the Sean Avery incident, right? Where they say, you don't get to talk to Mr. Sackic. Mm-hmm. Don't like, don't get it twisted. There was a, at the highest levels of these teams, there was a ton of respect for each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there is again, that's, that's, in my opinion, part of what made the rivalry so good was that they hated each other because of, you know, they, they knew that that was their, their equal. That that was the, the the big bad that each team had to slay. So they the, the rivalry stemmed from, again, in my opinion, exactly that. Like they both knew how good each other was. They, they both knew. They both had a ton of respect, and it all... It all goes together.
2: I was glad wow. that they gave some special attention to Patrick Waugh too and how he came to Colorado and how he was kind of a unique player. Um, it, it's one of those things, like if they had done a little bit more of this and paying attention to players like Waugh, who's a Hall of Fame goaltender, it probably would have rounded it out a little bit better, especially seeing the special attention paid to Konstantinov at the end. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, on the whole, I I do thought there were some interesting moments too. Uh, I see Koga talking about how they, him saying Eisman did have that reputation of not being able to get over the hump.
3: Right. Like they could have had even just a three minute conversation about the fact that that guy was this close to getting dealt for Alexi Yashin.
0: Yeah. Well, and so the thing is, like again, this should have been a mini series. It felt like they started to touch on that. They showed, you know, the Eiserman goal against Gretzky and against the blue with the blues, rather. Um, And and they showed some of those moments where it's like, if you already know what they're talking about, you kind of can see what they're getting at. But they don't do a very good job of just coming right out and getting into these
3: topics. They glossed over the fact that that team won 62 games in the regular season. And then had to play through four different elimination games in the playoffs. Yep. Like by the time they got to the Avs series, they were out of gas, and they didn't. And like they did not touch on that at all. Like there was, they were like, "Oh, they won sixty two games, but the Avs were better," and it was like, I, I mean, they just it would have it was an it was an interesting storyline. You're talking about what is still. I think the greatest regular season in NHL history that Red Wings team. And they just glossed over what a buzz saw they were, what a powerhouse they were, you know, what a, what an unbelievable, like these guys
2: destroyed
3: the NHL during the regular season in a way that has never been done before. So the abs like, Oh, Hey, like Colorado's good. Like, Colorado was good but Colorado was not favored in that series. Colorado was not given a, a ton of respect in that series. Colorado went out and took that. The all of the all the accolades and all the love and all the everything is retconning how that happened. It's it's retelling history knowing how great they ended up being. But it just wasn't it it, it wasn't like that then. That, it was all Red Wings. And, oh, they survived the great one who had helped St. Louis push the greatest team to the brink. Well, now it was Colorado, this new team that eh, we don't know a ton about them. We'll see. And it ended up being the beginning of that rivalry. But, like, again, another part of the story that was interesting. They just glossed over it. They didn't even mention the fact that the Nordiques were exceptional the year before they moved. Yeah. And that they were like on the up and up. And that they had had their own major, major postseason disappointment before that. Like like Joe Sakik was interviewed a bunch and was a bit player. Steve Iserman was interviewed a bunch and was a bit player. It was all about Chris Draper and Darren McCarty and Claude Lemieux. You're talking about two-thirds of their third line, of Detroit's third line, and a guy that played, like, four years in Colorado or something. (laughs) Like, it was so much bigger than the story that they made it. And that's the part, like, for, for somebody like Megan, who did not live it. Like, I'm bummed that they did such a poor job of telling the overall story of all of it, the whole thing. The, the the whole overarching the rivalry and all the great all the great players and you know I you know the chat has a good point. Sackick signing an the offer sheet, sheet with the Rangers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how close this rivalry came to not happening. You know, like yeah. how close how close it came to getting broken up and and how all of these guys who were full of all this potential built their legacies
1: through the heart of this rivalry. Well, and, and again, my, my thing, because I, I, I really did, I, I, I enjoyed the documentary. I, I, I always like stuff like this that gives you a deeper look, but I agree fully with what you said, AJ. And, and I, to me, I just, I keep going back to something Ruto said a minute ago and I, I was eventually going to make this point if, if no one else did. I, I was actually disappointed by this fact before I even watched it, just given the way that ESPN has done some stuff in recent years. Um, and then after watching, I was even more, this should have been a series at least two, three parts. Um, that, that, cause I mean, you really could have gotten into the full scope of it by making it a one part. Um, you know, like you said, AJ, you, you had to leave stuff on the, on the, uh, on the editing room floor. And, and it was, it, it's so much fun, awesome detail that that could have made for such a great, you know, month-long event, three, four-part series, and you could have really gotten a full scope for it. I feel like they tried to sh- to shrink what was such an amazing rivalry with so much history and so many layers, and they shrunk it down to two hours. And we were all laughing before this, like two hours is a long-ass documentary to sit through. I just I, I wish they would have and and someone just put in the chat like last dance when they first announced it. That's what I thought this was kind of going to be like that first teaser. I thought this was going to be a multi part kind of like La- the last dance with Michael Jordan. I, I wish they would have done that because there was so much more story to tell.
3: Ultimate missed opportunity because they could have aired it in during, parts during Colorado's yeah. fucking cup run.
1: Yep. Could have started it in the Western Conference final. And, and run it through and the final, Even, like, not knowing,
3: like, obviously it's easy to say now because we're like, oh, we won the cup, like, using today's information to make decisions five months ago. But, like, it wasn't hard to right. be like, this could be a pretty cool opportunity for us to do a little right. double dip here. Right. And it really, like, an hour, a one-hour episode mm-hmm. around Draper, McCarty, The Hit, Fight Night, would have been, like, that hour, 40-minute to an hour yeah. segment in the middle of this documentary that was all about just that.
0: That's one perfect episode.
3: Would have been a great episode. Yeah. A standalone episode. And they could have gotten into the Waugh goalie fights, yep. all of them, and then the one that wasn't because Dominic Hasha can't skate.
2: Yeah.
3: Like, they could have gotten into more of that. They could have gotten into the the Iserman-Sackick stuff. Like, it was good it was, but it could it have was been great. really yeah. solid for i would say an hour and a half maybe even an hour and 40 minutes and then, then they lost really the plot and yeah and then they totally lose the thread and i think i think it's set up for failure when they decided to do it strictly through the eyes of that night that the anniversary night and that event that, that was held in Detroit all of that right away puts you on a Detroit foot and it feels like immediate bias going into it. The fact that Claude Lemieux agreed to do it, like, is great. But they finished the documentary with Claude Lemieux is Mo Sider's agent, and now he's going to be the guy trying to help Detroit win cups. Like,
1: not really. I was, I was going to say. I also thought that was kind of a funny leap from Darren Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now he's actively trying to help the Red Wings win a cup. It's like, he's trying to get paid.
3: He's trying to get Mo cider, $12 million because he
1: gets 2% of it, dude. I can't wait for him
0: to take the blame when Mo's like, yeah, I want 10
1: million. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I, I I did laugh at that. I was like, well, technically, I guess if you really want to really want to make that argument, I guess that's what he's doing.
3: Yeah. So, you know, it was good. It, it, Given, given that they waited so long to make this, and we're like, we're, we're, we're what, like five, six, seven years, maybe even more into the 30 for 30 world where they've been making these excellent 30 for 30 documentaries about all different sports topics. I, I listened to like six of these episodes on my drive back from Canada.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So they're fresh in my mind. And genuinely feels like they just blew it with this. Like it was good and it could have been so much better. Yep. And I now agree. we did an entire episode about it.
1: Any other thoughts? August baby. I guess September. Hey. September yeah, first. September first.
2: Do you think Gabriel Landeskalk could get the ouse into the cheesecake factory right away? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes.
3: <laughs> I did love Peter McNabb's like after the parade he was like I bet they could have gotten in then. <laughs> Dude, I, I oh!
0: With Gabe's looks, he could have got them in the Cheesecake Factory before he was even an Av. Right?
3: <laughs> I mean, do you remember when he was drafted? He was really young.
2: He was a baby.
3: Yeah, yeah like you think he could have gone? He didn't really have the flow back then. It was more of a. I don't know of a straighter cut.
0: How old was he when that Swedish chef gift came out? I guess he was probably like 19 or 20. So he'd probably been on the team for a few years. Yeah. But at that point he's getting into anywhere he wants.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
3: That was a great little tidbit. And I like, It was I. I just more things are popping into my head that they could have talked about that I thought it, would have been interesting. It
0: I should know. have been an eight episode miniseries. I'm telling you.
3: I mean, I don't know about eight. I was, yeah, thinking, I was thinking more like, like I was thinking like four. Yeah, see, but... I, think,
0: I think four would be perfect. <laughs> I, so I think you could have done a better job. Look, you you have... like fifty two part a series
1: once <laughs> every week of no, the year. Look, you
0: have the whole you have the whole fight night thing. You could have an episode about Konstantinov. You could have an episode about the Avs in two thousand one. You could have an episode. You could have episodes about Detroit going on to succeed while the Avs struggled with their super team, and then you get into the mid two thousands where you're talking about guys starting to retire and and the the rivalry continuing on despite some changing of the
3: guard. Well, and like the way that the lockout like ruined the Avalanche in particular. Yep. And, and, and effectively, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but effectively ended that era of them being a cup competitor, a uh, cup yep. contender. Yep. And then could have, yeah. could have talked about the, the Korea Solani team that didn't work out.
0: Yeah. That, yeah. They have a super team there. And then you get to the, what was it? 2008 or 2009 where Detroit just put the ads down for good. And that was kind of the end of the rivalry. <laughs> when Johan
3: Franzen ended yeah. it for good. Yeah. Because everybody on the abs had some horrible flu at the same time,
1: <laughs> bro. Sorry, I forgot my camera's not. Uh, I've talked about him before, and and, and I yeah, Johan Franzen Just that's that is one of my more. We talked a couple weeks ago about like most hated fan bases, and we you know we were all saying like, don't really have one. I. I judge it based off of your etiquette in the arena. Yo, dude, Johan Franzen is one of my, like, I, I just, I could, growing up, I couldn't stand him. I could not stand him.
3: I think he set an NHL record or tied an NHL record for goals yeah. in a four-game series. I'm
1: sure he did. <laughs> well, it, it was one of his, it was one of his last years, really near the end of his career. Cause he, he you know, he took the hard dip there near the end, which happens to a lot of guys. And he had a year where I swear, and I'm, I'm, I'm misremembering, I'm misquoting these numbers like crazy, but it was something to the effect of like he had eight goals on the year and six of them came against the abs in like two games or something like that. It was crazy. It was just insane. He was terrible and yet still was able to just torch the abs whenever he wanted.
0: In any case... I believe it's the greatest sports rivalry of all time. Oh uh, if, if not, it's got to be top 5 no matter who you are. Um
1: we're going to wrap you know, the, this one the up. The only other one that I think comes close right now for real is USA Canada uh women's hockey. Boy, I
0: I my father is a Boston Red Sox fan, so I will be uh Okay.
1: All right. <laughs> I mean, like, there's a lot of great ones right now, but I mean, like that's, that's one where those, the girls from those two teams, again, like we were saying earlier, seem like they genuinely, I, I mean, <laughs> there's labor disputes across like three different women's well, it, pro it, leagues because those two teams, hate so, like that's a rivalry. That Fuck makes yeah. it
0: even weirder because it's like some of the Canadians, some of the people on the same team are like, we hate each other <laughs> because <laughs> of the PHF. Versus the, what yeah. does the NWHL call itself now? It changed its name. I forget. Honestly, like, I don't even know. Anymore. They got to pick
1: a name. They got to pick a name and stick with it. <laughs> but no, that the, the USA-Canada women's rivalry is phenomenal for similar reasons, in my opinion.
3: Same yeah, I, I wanted to actually, before we bounce up out of here today, but sure. I did want to um, transition this into just a quick, like, while this won't, it won't get to that level today. As we are in what we think is going to be another like golden era of Avalanche Hockey. Are there any teams that really stand out as obvious candidate for like a real rival? And not like a, sure hated them that one year.
0: The... The to the currently no to yeah. me, but sorry, Megan, go ahead.
2: oh, I was just clarifying if the rivalry was Abs and another team or different, yes. than
0: it. okay. um, I would say the closest is Vegas, and they're just not that close because they've completely lost the plot.
3: Well, and that's the thing is it's like it had could have been Vegas. It probably should have been Vegas because I mean, we've talked about it. They were this close to playing in the postseason several years yeah. in a row. It's it's um,
0: a lot of it has been that with the ads over this era is just ships passing in the night. It could have been Nashville, but they just Minnesota. stopped being competitive at the, after that first series between them, it could have been Calgary, but Calgary and them just kind of never were destined to be against each other. Cause Edmonton beat them this year.
3: I think, I think this is actually like this era where the, the West is going like this, like it's just yeah. so bumpy. I think really also solidifies just how special that era was. Uh, Because I think at the end of the day, the the big thing that they glossed over that really jumped out at me at the end of that documentary was five Stanley Cups in seven years Mm
1: -hmm. between
3: those two franchises. Yeah. Like, that is a run. Like, that is... You guys are you you guys are at the top and all these teams are chasing you and things happen so quickly in the NHL that they stayed there. And when we were trying to look at we're trying to project forward, like we got people in the chat saying St. Louis, St. Louis got worse this offseason. They lose. They lose. What was their starting goaltender last regular season? They would not have been a playoff team had uh, Billy Husso not bailed out. A god awful Jordan Binnington last season. Um, and then they lose David Perron, who's quietly been one of their top scorers the last couple of years. You know, it, like the, the Blues took a step back.
0: It also gets glossed over because they were in the other conference, but in that era, it was the Wings, it was the Avs, and it was the New Jersey Devils.
3: And then there was like the that Dallas. That one year College.
0: of Dallas. Yeah.
3: It was, I mean, they stopped <laughs> it, them in consecutive years. Th- so that not like the
1: abs, but
3: like Dallas was like Dallas. Dallas gets like a footnote there. Sure,
1: you can be part of this a little.
3: Yeah, I mean they were they were like a a small piece of that era. Which,
0: um, you know, Hull's foot wasn't the crease, so
3: it, I mean it absolutely was. <laughs> but yeah, like the, the right now, like trying to look ahead, like it could be edmonton i mean a mcdavid mckinnon thing would probably be exceptional for the sport to have those kinds of guys meeting and and everything on the line going for you know going for the cup every single year having to go through each other that level of talent might be the kind of like the bloodshed won't be there i don't think uh, it it can't be in the modern but i do. mean could you you could talk yourself into a little bit of heat. McCarr, for sure. McKinnon, yeah. McDavid, Drysital, and then all the really good players surrounding them—Rantanen, no. you know, Taves, Byram, those guys. Uh, Darnell Nurse. Like you can talk yourself into that being a, a, another rivalry of like, kind of like a Crosby Ovechkin, you know, I'm where going
0: for the Super Arizona bandwagon. In. All right, Matthews come to Arizona; they can get Bedard. Let's go. I'm, in. I I'm like here it. for the young upstart Arizona versus the avalanche who at that point will be okay.
3: So what, what established. Do, what do the Avs do in the three years until the Coyotes are good in 2025?
0: Become a dynasty.
3: Okay, so Arizona gets to like come in at the end of that and be like, we're here.
0: Yeah, and then no, the Avs slap them down. I mean,
3: okay. I'll allow it.
0: <laughs> okay. Any other, any other thoughts before we get out of here? I'm good. Good, good, good. All right. We appreciate all y'all hanging out with us. We did it. You can stop telling us to go watch Unrivaled now. Uh, one of the most requested things I've been getting over the past couple of months. But we appreciate all of y'all. We will be back tomorrow with a fun show, so we hope to see you there. But, yeah, hope y'all enjoyed this one, and uh, we will talk to you on the next one.